You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison here. Welcome back to the podcast. And for this week's episode, we bring you another question and answer period. So thank you again for everyone who is writing in their questions. Let's get started. I'm going to begin with love the podcast. Thank you very much for that. (laughs) It's always nice to get some feedback that to the work I'm doing is impactful to people. So thank you. Um, This person goes on to say, I'm really hoping you'll be able to help me with my seven-year-old son. When he was younger, zero to four, he was a very positive and happy kid and was always very gentle and sweet. In the last six months to a year, he is filled with so much anger and frustration. I'm having a hard time helping him to manage his feelings. I try my best to remind him to be kind, but he tends to just explode like a bomb. Can you please supply me with some tools on how to diffuse the situation, allowing him the space to have his feelings, but also remind him that he can't be hurtful to other people. Recently, he has started hitting me in public to try to get my attention. And when I asked him to stop, he smiles at me and tells me no and keeps doing it. My parents have said that I need to be more firm with him and then I'm too much of a kind slash pushover parent, which I know they are right. I cave to avoid fights way more than I should. I should also add that my husband works away at great lengths. He's usually away from anywhere to three to 10 weeks at a time. So I feel like I'm generally in this alone. Sincerely, pushover, practically single parent. <laughs> well, first off, that's a, uh, that's a tough go uh, to be a single parent. Uh, to your point, whether it's just because of the nature of the situation of your husband's work, 
you're carrying the brunt of this and I'm sure it's exhausting for you because you don't get the benefit of that handoff. So I hope you've got your your parents there who can do some shifts and you've maybe made a parent pod during the pandemic so that you can get some support. We, we need to really have our, our friends, our caregivers and, uh, you know, he's seven now, so I don't know if he's doing school, but uh, it would be really nice for you to get some break and refresh when you're having these kinds of issues with kids. So the first thing that I think about when I'm reading this, just to kind of tell you how this goes through my mind, you know, when you tell me that when he was younger, zero to four, that he was like a sweet and positive kid, you know, that's really speaks to, you know, when we're born, we have a temperament that's a genetic part of our, our life. And so just know that, you know, it sounds like he's a, a positive and sweet and gentle going kid. And that is likely how he goes through life. But the truth is, even positive, happy and gentle kids with that temperament still have to figure out how to get their needs met and uh, make their way in the world when they're when they're up against the challenges of living. And it may have been that when he spent his first zero to four years of life, um, maybe he had a pretty easy go of feeling positive and encouraged and belonging. And maybe he was more likely to get his way with you, maybe through um, feigning incapability or using tears. And, you know, you might have been a little bit more you know, willing to to provide acts of service for that kind of sweet kid. And again, I'm these are hypotheses. You know, you'd have to tell me if I was right or wrong. But I say that only because something's happened. Now he's using anger and frustration. And that and so is he having trouble managing his emotions? I guess the question I'm asking you is he can't manage his emotions or he won't manage his emotions. And I poise it that way because in Adlerian psychology, although preconscious, we utilize our emotions in order to help us reach our goals. And um, it may well be that he has discovered that one area where your parenting is not as strong. Um, it sounds like you've got other great strong qualities to your parenting. You, gosh, you're going this alone for seven years. Um, you know that he may very well know. And has discovered from interacting with you that you are not good with conflict and that you are more likely to not be firm when he gets emotional. It might have taken him four or five years to learn that, that when he starts to have big outbursts, you're like, okay, 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 you can stay up later. Okay, 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 you can have the ice cream. Okay, 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 we can, you know, stay at the park longer. So it may just be from trial and error that the, the more aggressive and angry he gets, the more likely he's to get his way. So why would he want to control anger when he can use it as a tool for successfully getting his wants filled because you'll back down when he's like that. So that's one thing. So the can't versus the won't. He he had the skills from zero to four. You know, when you would think developmentally, you'd, you'd have less skills. So I don't think he threw those skills away. I think he's choosing not to use them. So there's that piece. And then it's like, so what is going on with the anger and the frustration? Why is he, you know, needing to get his way met this way? I guess we have to ask the question, does he know how to get his needs met on the positive side of life without turning to the negative side of life? And it may have been that you were just very um, anticipatory, you know, available and spontaneous with whatever he needed from zero to four. But now he's an older kid and maybe he's more demanding. He's an only child and you're you're an only parent. So he may have more demands so that when you go out in public, he knows very well that you are going to be more likely to not want to make a scene, more likely to cave. But the fact that he smirks and he's hitting, I believe he has social compunction. I think he knows how much he's crossing a line there. So for me, that's almost moving from power struggle 
which we talk about power as being the goal, almost to a, a goal of revenge, like a tit for tat. He's really humiliating you and shaming you in public. The, the fact that he's smirking and that he's being aggressive like that, and he's leaving you not knowing what to do and that you can't stop him. You know, the no, you can't, ha. Huh? There is an element of revenge hurtfulness in that. I, do you feel it? Do you feel a little humiliated? Do you feel a little belittled by his treating you poorly in public like that? Shame, like public, you know, it's not at home, it's public, right? So it sounds a little revengey to me. So I wonder, and again, you know, we can't have a dialogue, it's the limits of being in a podcast with writing questions, but I wonder if in hearing your parents say that you need to be firm and knowing that that's a struggle with you, but also knowing that you know that you need to set guidelines and limits with your child. Could it be that maybe part of how your parenting style is that you maybe oscillate between the two? So you're kind of like, the pushover, 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 and then you've had enough. And so then there's sort of maybe some arbitrary, no, that's enough, not today. You know, could it be that you put your foot down in such a way or you make rules arbitrarily or life might seem to you to make sense, but maybe to your child it might seem erratic uh, because today you can have a popsicle and now you can't. And today you can stay up late because I'm a pushover, but now I need to do something for work and you got to go to bed. It could be that because life is not consistent and it might feel a little chaotic and erratic and that you're just really like not predictable to him, you might not notice it. But I'm just wondering, could it be that this oscillating between being a pushover and then being firm is making life confusing for him and so he can't be successful and so that might be stirring up some inferiority feelings and then kind of a bit of a, of a, of a righteousness, right? I am angry. I am frustrated. I don't understand when I'm allowed to have popsicles. I am upset. I don't know when I'm allowed to play roadblocks. I am upset. Why Why was this funny yesterday and today you're, too, you're tired of me? So it, it could be. It could be that. So I would ask you to explore that a little bit with yourself and try to figure out then if you've got an explosive, angry, frustrated child, notice what those triggers are and circle back and say, you know, what's our family rule or policy or agreement about whatever it is, about how many times we have French fries when we go to the mall? What's our family rule and policy about when we do and don't have roadblocks? What's our family policy about when we do and don't go to bed? So it may be that he is just trying to figure out the patterns and have a little bit of say in agency because he's older now. He's seven. He's not zero to four, you know, where you can kind of like tell him, go here, do this. And they're a little bit of our beck and call. He has a say. He has an opinion. He has wants. So let's help him get those needs uh, um, met. So even though you're just basically a two-person family, I would still suggest having those family meetings where you just sort of sit down and review the week and talk about, you know, this is where we make our agreements. This is where we change how we operate. So if you'd like a later bedtime, this is when we talk about it. If you'd like an allowance, this is where we talk about it. If you'd like to see a friend and you want to set up a play date, this is where we talk about it. And I know that that feels really bizarre when you only have one child because it's just so easy to talk in the moment about little family ways. But I just find that if you make it once a week and you sit down and you formalize it, it makes it a little bit more serious for the kids that they actually understand there is this time, there is this place, and I am heard and I have an input and we do talk about this. And um, so it, it sort of gives it some some sort of seriousness. So I hope that that helps. I think that if I was going to like move to the next level with you, I would probably want to dig into 
What exactly happens for you when the pushover script comes in? What is uncomfortable for you about being firm? So what are the what's the narrative? What's the story that you tell yourself that if I'm firm, I'm somehow thwarting his needs, um, I'm being harsh? I would want to dig into what the hurdle is for you. And that probably goes back to something in your childhood, your upbringing, some, somehow how your needs got met. Maybe it's your fear of rejection. Maybe it's your fear of conflict that you won't be able to hold your own ground. I'm not sure. Um, But if you're really going to want to revisit this in a very large way, given that he's only seven and you still have to get through all the teen years, understanding how to set a limit and boundary and how to chalk that line with respectful leadership and not be either too firm nor too friendly, finding that sweet spot in between, knowing that that is not comfortable for you, I would do the personal work on that. And that would be a great use of your time because you got a lot of parenting ahead of you, and especially if you're doing it on your own. So hope that's helpful. Next question. Hi, Allison. First, thank you endlessly for all you have done to inform and validate our parenting. I came across your work early in our daughter's life, and time again, your work and words guide us, and the benefits have been remarkable. Well, thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Thank you. I'm glad it's been helpful. Uh, She goes on to say, unfortunately, however, we are now struggling. Our 12-year-old daughter, our single child, was in therapy for four to five months before COVID, but didn't like doing it virtually, and the issues were surrounding peers at school. So that ceased to be so much of an issue with virtual learning. This past fall, with the return of school, however, she requested to return to therapy and has, in the past two months, presented with symptoms of severe anxiety and depression. Her treatment of therapy and her lifestyle focus, exercise, food, vitamins, and supplements are working, and we are slowly seeing progress. Well, that makes me very happy. My question and request for this help is uh, as follows. My husband has been very hard on us since our daughter shared with us, saying that our democratic parenting worked well while she was young, but he feels we now need to be stricter in order to support her treatment. I'm struggling because I find my parenting style changing. I know that I am being more sympathetic and indulgent than empowering because of our emotional needs right now. How do we find the balance? So appreciative of your thoughts. Well, you know, that was such a hard question to answer. Like, how do you find, where's the line? I don't have language to say, be this strict, be this lenient, be eight out of 10 lenient, be six out of 10, understand. like it's so hard to answer that question. So I emailed back and I said, it would be more helpful for me if you gave me an example of something where you're wondering, is this too strict or is this too lenient? Is this democratic or is this autocratic? I, I, I find that I can answer it better as I'm putting it through the lens of roles and responsibilities and age developmental appropriateness, et cetera. So I I asked a follow-on question and she got back to me and she said, um, good morning, uh, Allison. A good example is regarding food. We've always allowed her strong appetite to guide her food intake, ensuring that there are balanced, healthy meals and access to treats. Food choices have been a conversation about healthy choices and moderate treats. Puberty has not been kind to her. She's grown five inches since COVID began and gained about 70 pounds. She has continued to have a strong appetite, and we have started to see her pack away full boxes of family-sized mac and cheese, with protein, fruit, and vegetables always, that previously would have covered two to three meals. She also overindulged in Halloween treats in the fall. As part of a natural approach to symptom treatment, antidepressants are our last option. My husband says it is now time to be stricter about her food intake portion size. Our old methods got her into trouble with size and portion control. 
While I have stopped buying the family size boxes of mac and cheese, I still believe that we should let her make food decisions all the while talking about healthy choices and decisions, stocking the fridge with healthy choices, putting fruit and veg in front of her, literally, and having family treat night once a week or so. Thank you so much, Allison. I look forward to your thoughts. See, this gives me a much better understanding of where I can direct you in terms of, you know, what's too lenient, what, what's too strict. And, you know, I hear your husband. It's very scary when you see your kid is, seems to be like not able to make good decisions about her portion sizes and about the frequency of her eating or, you know, how much sugar she's having. I, I, I understand that. And sort of this feeling of, well, you know, if she's not making good choices, then I need to help her make good choices. So, you know, it's interesting when we look at the three styles of, of parenting or leadership, one sends the message, I don't believe that you can manage well enough on your own, so I'm going to make you do it. That's autocratic parenting. And this is what he's saying. I'm watching. You are not making good decisions. You're eating too much mac and cheese and Halloween candy. I don't trust you to manage your responsibility for food. Therefore, I'm going to step in and I'm going to put portion controls in front of you. That's autocratic parenting. Pushover, jellyfish, permissive parenting, whatever you want to call it, is I don't trust you well enough to, to make those decisions and manage food on your own. So therefore, I'll do it for you. So again, it's this rescuing, stepping in, you know, so it, both of them have as the core principle, I don't trust you to, to manage. I don't trust you to manage. So I'm either going to make you or I'm going to do for you. I'm going to be in servitude or I'm going to force you to comply. Neither of those send a good message to the child because the message to the child is we don't have faith in you to manage the realities of life. If somebody's anxious and depressed, part of being anxious and depressed is, is that they don't feel that they can manage the challenges of life. I am retreating from the realities. I don't have faith in myself to, to handle uh, fear. I don't have the, the uh, you know, I don't like that things aren't going my way. I'm, I'm going to evade, avoid their life. So I don't want to add to their narrative that they can't manage. They can manage life. I want them to believe they can manage life. It's not nice to grow five inches and put on 70 pounds. I'm sure she's not happy with herself. I had a terrible time in puberty, but the truth is you can't put a kid on a diet. It's her emotions. It's her feelings about her body. It's her feelings about when she should and shouldn't eat. And I'm guessing that with everything else going on in her life, that she is probably leaning on food as a bit of a, a dopamine hit. You know, you get a little sugar high, you, you know, comfort food, mac and cheese, my God, all kinds of carbs and mm, creamy, good. And, you know, when you're young, um, that gives you a sense of uh, of pleasure when you've got no pleasure going on in your life, right? You've got friendship problems. You got you don't like your body. You're not at school. Maybe your marks are coming down. You feel like your parents don't have faith in you. Eat another bowl of mac and cheese. So I think it's just we here. It's an, a food example, and food's always a tough one when we turn to food for comfort because we have to eat, right? It's not like. If you turn to, I mean, look at adults, how many of us have like turned to our five o'clock cocktail to get through the pandemic where it's like, oh, this is all so hard. I'm, I'm going to escape into to relieving and numbing my anxious, depressed feelings by pouring a drink. So, you know, we're escaping the realities of life as well. But, you know, you can you can give up vaping, you can give up drugs, you can get, but you can't give up food. So it's a toughie, right? It is a toughie and our metabolisms change and kids, you know, don't necessarily know a lot about nutrition. So good for you for, for, for the way that you've been approaching this. So I believe it's her, it's her responsibility and her goal that needs to come first. And you as the parent of such a teen 
can just really get clear on your responsibilities, which is to educate her about food. You know, we eat vegetables because they contain these vitamins and minerals and we need those for eyesight and bone health and whatever. And, you know, we need these for energy and fueling the brain. And this is what a portion of protein looks like. And this is how many fruits and vegetables we have in a day. And this is where we find fiber, all those good things. She needs to know all that. You know, sometimes kids really don't know what a portion size is. And so if you are modeling good eating yourself and you've educated her about food and nutrition and you have a house that when you purchase food is full of healthy things, then really the the putting it from the cupboards, the table into her mouth, that's really up to her. And when she says, I'm not feeling good about my weight, I think I need to like lose some weight, then you can say, oh, well, you know, let us know if you want some support around that. You know, I'm sure we could help out. But she's got to be the one that leads the charge. She might say, can I see the doctor? You know, I kind of want to talk to him about the weight gain. Or, you know, she might say, you know, I find that I'm just weak-willed. And when I see that macaroni and cheese box, I just, I really want to eat one. Can can we stop buying those? And he's like, sure, there's no skin off my teeth. I don't need to buy one. But that's very different than, um, excuse me, do you think that's a good choice? Um, Excuse me, do you think you need to eat that whole box? That is very judgmental. Um, That's very shaming. And this is where we get kids who really end up having difficulties around um, uh, body image, relationships with food, how it gets wrapped into the interpersonal dynamics of the family. So stay away from that completely. You know, if many families where one person has a weight problem, like so many other habit changes, it's like changing the family culture, just like the way you would change a work culture to be, you know, if you want to increase creativity at work, you might change the habits around how people are allowed to brainstorm at work or share their ideas without, you know, judgment or whatever. You might have to change the family culture around your food. And so maybe there is too much junk food around. Maybe there is too much lack of portion control. So when you're in a family that is eating well, you're more likely to eat well. When you're in a family that exercises, you're more likely to exercise. So if you want to take it on as a group thing, food food is a family readjusting our family's health goals for 2022. I think you can absolutely do it as a team effort together, not singularly pointing her out as the problem, but that the system isn't supporting the health of everybody in the family and look at what that might look like. So that's kind of where I would would go there. So does that make sense to you in terms of like getting clear on that more middle ground? The democratic parenting style is I trust you. I have faith in you. It's very encouraging. It's very empowering. I trust you. I, I, I have faith in you. Who, where is the, where do we tie freedoms and responsibility? What's the child's responsibility? What's my responsibility? How can I socialize a child in order to meet the demands of life and not help them, not force them? Neither should I collude to allow them to evade life's responsibilities. And at this point, you know, I'm always going back to like, what are the needs of the situation? You know, until her doctor says, you know, she might be heavier, but this is not life-threatening at this point. Again, I think her own intrinsic desire to have a good relationship with her her um, feeling of sense of self and her body is is enough. She doesn't need to hear it from you. I've never I've never known a kid who is obtuse to gaining weight. Um, quite quite the opposite. <laughs> you know, we got seven year olds saying, "I have love handles." I'm like, "Oh my god, please." So no, you don't need to get on that bandwagon, but you can be a support if she comes to you for it. Uh, let's see, next one. I have two boys, 11 and 9. Our oldest son frequently blurts out when we watch a movie or a show as a family. 
If we laugh at something in the movie, he repeats it more than once. He will sometimes tell us what just happened, even though we all saw it together. And sometimes he will talk about what is happening, even though a conversation in the movie is still going on. It seems attention-seeking, as though he's trying to get us to laugh at him. He looks around at us to see if we're, who's laughing or paying attention to him. Any strategies that you could suggest would be very appreciated. We have tried pausing the movie when he starts talking, but it happens so frequently. We've tried ignoring his comments, but we don't want him to feel that his words are unimportant. We've tried silently adding beads to a pipe cleaner every time he blurts out to silently show that we notice his blurting and to help him aim for a lesser number of blurts the next time we watch a movie. This only helped to slightly decrease the interruptions. I have kindly reminded him several times that we are all enjoying the movie together and love his company, but don't need him to repeat what he just saw. Our concern is also that his younger brother, who never used to blurt or interrupt during the movies, he's usually very quiet, is now starting to pick up this habit as well. And we would love to nip it in the bud before it evolves further. Looking forward to our session tomorrow. That's the session tomorrow because I was I was doing a workplace uh, talk. And uh, so um, I would say... Um, First of all, I always trust a parent, really, their spidey senses. I'm guessing that if you said it's attention-seeking, that it probably is. And attention-seeking is when our uh, feelings are uh, irritation and annoyance or worry. And when we um, notice a child behaving in an attention-seeking way, we notice that our behaviors in response to it tend to be verbal. Stop that. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? We're listening to the movie. Please don't repeat. Like we tend to correct them in a verbal way. And when we correct them, they stop temporarily and then resume. And when they resume, they make another joke in the movie or they repeat another part of the movie. They go back to what they were doing before or something equally as annoying and frustrating, but it doesn't amplify. It doesn't increase. There isn't a one-upmanship that we see in power. And so it sounds to me as if this is attention-seeking. Attention-seeking behavior is a child who's trying to solve the problem of connection, and they have stumbled upon a way in which they tend to get you to engage and interact with them, but in a way that is not cooperative. It's on the uh, non-social side of life because he's interrupting. He's he's distracting you from watching the movie. It's not helpful. It's, it's not pro-social behavior, but it's effective behavior and so when you stop to deal with him, that little bit of attention paid is enough for him to say, yep, worked, got it. I'm still alive. I'm still connecting. They're still, they still know I'm in the room. So it comes from this underlying belief. I know that I'm significant and important in this family when people are paying attention to me. And if too much time goes and they're watching the movie too long and nobody has paid attention to me, I am suddenly feeling devalued. I'm feeling unimportant. I'm feeling unworthy. So this tension rises up almost like anxiety. And then there's the blurt. I'm still here. I'm still here. And you're like, hey, 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 we're watching the movie. Hey, no, we saw it. He, whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, okay. I'm still here. They validated me. You know, and then the tension rises, the tension rises. Oh, I guess I got to blurt it out again. So I think, you know, we have to realize that he he's trying his best to solve the problem. And uh, this is the best he's come up with. So the, our, the root part of our, of our work here would be, how do we show him how to find connection and engagement uh, on the positive side of life? And how do we bring down his inferiority feelings so that he finds way to, ways to contribute to the family so that he knows that he is significant and important, not just when he is being paid attention, that when he sits quietly on the couch and watches the movie with everybody else, that he can bathe in the knowing that he is loved, wanted, important, and right now he's not sure of that. So that's where the fine art of encouragement 
Encouragement is the balm that removes the inferiority feelings that shows our kids that they are significant and important for pro-social ways. So I want to constantly be working on that. But I also want to take this way that he's discovered of how the squeaky wheel gets the grease by being disruptive, interruptive, and he does it in a cute way, in a funny way, in a laughing way, in a repeating words way. It's sort of whatever, innocent, but it's still disruptive. It's still disruptive, and he gets his payoff every time you pay attention. So some ideas. First off, I think the idea that when you turned off the TV and you said, oh my God, but it goes on so many times, I think a couple of the things that you tried were probably good ideas, but I think you just didn't do them long enough. I think many people in their lack of confidence in their technique abandon what they're trying, and they were on the right path. It's just maybe you need to do it for six months, not just for twice, not just two evenings. So it may be that you just have to really believe in what you're doing and do it longer. So that's one thing. So I would have, I, I would have just, you know, again, I, I refuse to have my movie interrupted. Um, so I would stop the movie and tell him that you're unwilling to multitask, that if he would like to have the floor, and this is where we call something called prescribing the symptoms. I think sometimes with kids like this, they like to steal, you know, so it's got attention, but there's a little bit of power. I like to steal the limelight. I like to steal the show. Kids like that often don't like to be made to be the show. It doesn't feel the same to be put in the center of attention than to steal the center of attention. So it could be that you stop the movie and have the whole family say, hey, so sorry, you wanted to talk. You have the floor. No, keep going. Keep going. No, you know what? No, this is your time. You want to talk? So, you know, you're not interested in movie time. So let's let's hear your, your, your interpretation or your uh, recap of the movie. No, keep going. We're not, we don't have to go back to the movie. It sounds like you really want to talk to us. So let's give you the floor. So if you give him the floor and say, yeah, we got 15 minutes. He, he may not know what to do with 15 minutes. It's like, oh, no, never mind. Never mind. All right, let's go back to the movie. Let's go back to the movie. I'm like, no, no, you're important. You, you seem to want to talk to us. You know, you're more important than movies. Go ahead. What, what do you want to talk about? So he may not like that. Uh, he may prefer, just put the movie on. Just put the movie on. I'll be quiet. So I would try to... Um, to, to, I like that idea of, of turning off the movie and then making him have the floor and have everyone pay attention to him. So, so do that for a little bit. The other thing is, you know, maybe he doesn't really know what how to have a calm. Maybe he's very verbal. He could be a real extrovert. He could be a real talker, but he's 11. And when you're 11, what are you going to talk about? He doesn't. So he's like, good, when I have a movie on, there's content. You know, I'm going to repeat. I'm going to whatever. So maybe you need to help him be a better conversationalist. Um, so when it's, you know, dinner time and, and whatever, have you got things to, to, to help him guide what a good conversation looks like? Um, do you have provocative questions? You know, uh, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? If you were the president of the, of the country, you know, what changes would you make? If you were going to go on a holiday, what, where would you go and why? You know, I don't know, just th- start thinking up some like really provocative questions that engage an 11 year old. Tell me about your, your favorite, um, computer game and and why you think that the design of the game is so intriguing to 11 year old boys. I don't know, whatever you'll, you'll come up with some ideas, but let's get them learning how to be a conversationalist, you know, in such a way that it's more engaging for the other people. And for him to learn that, that a dialogue is, is about that, not a monologue. It's not about him talking and people listening to him. It's about the, the backing and forthing. A lot of times kids that are attention seeking and want an audience like that, that's often those kids Sometimes where I, um, and I, this is coming up in another question, but I'm going to use it twice. Um, does he like magic? I find a lot of kids that want to have an audience, like get him performing. Like if he wants to be a stand-up comic, give him the floor. 
You know, if he wants to, it's often put on a puppet show, you know, perform a, a song and dance, uh, perform some some stand-up comedy, get him working to work with the audience. But if you're just being a human being, teach him how to have a dialogue. Does he have this impulse control at school? Does he have to be the center of attention? Does he interrupt the teacher when she's teaching? Does he do this at the dinner table? Does he interrupt when you and your partner are trying to talk about your day at work? I might take another opportunity to train for taking turns listening with a talking stick at the dinner table to train like we don't interrupt when someone else is speaking. When you have the talking stick, then you have the floor and we will listen. But then when you're done and don't let him filibust. Um, I used to give my daughter like those little sand timers from our board game and say like, you know, when the sand is all out, you have to pass the talking stick to the next person. We all take turns. It's nice to have the floor, but you also need to wait. That's the give and take of social living, the ironclad law of social living. Sometimes you're the listener. Sometimes you're the talker. And he needs to be trained to that reality of life. Otherwise, he's going to have a self-entitled attitude that he deserves for people on his terms, on his timeline, to stop and listen to me. And that is not how life works. So I hope that helps. Okay, moving along here. We have a four-year-old boy is lying a lot, telling stories that are untrue. I try to listen and say, ah, that's interesting. He also takes things like candy and hides them in his backpack to bring to school. Not sure what to do and say. So I find, especially with little kids. So first of all, lying is a sign of intelligence. All kids will try it on for size. You got to remember, if you're four years old and you're living with all these gentle giant adults, it does feel pretty powerful when you stumble into the idea that if they say, did you eat your peas and you've fed them to the dog and you go, yep, I ate my peas. And then the parents are like, oh, good. Okay. You ate your peas. And they're like, I duped them. The big people don't know. You, you feel like you have, oh, you've conquered the big people. You've duped them. You feel so big. You feel so, and how would they ever know? And so you try it again and you're at circle time at nursery school and everybody is talking about what they did at Christmas. And when it comes to you and you realize, well, they don't know. So you say, oh yeah, well for Christmas, I went skiing and I went over a ski jump and I jumped 200 feet And you're like, oh, nobody knows that that's not true. But now I have this superpower and everyone thinks I am like a superstar ski jumper. I'm going to impress my friends. And how will people know? And, you know, I want candy and they don't know I took the candy so I can sneak the candy. And if you end up saying things, not noticing and not calling them out and you say, oh, that's interesting. You're kind of being complicit in, in letting the lie work. So we don't want behaviors that don't meet the pro-social laws of social living to allow to be effective. We have to stop the payoff. So I am not going to fall for the lie. I am willing to say, um, that's not true. I don't believe you. That's called a lie. I'm totally fine with like outing somebody around that. Um, I might even say, did you feel you needed to lie in order to impress me? Um, I just want you to know, you don't need to impress me, sweetie. You are already wonderful enough. You are enough without having to make up, fabricate, and tell big tales. You don't need to be any bigger, better, fancier than you already are. So it might be that. Now, notice when I'm talking about this kind of lying, it's about stories, right? These are, he's, there's an impre- he's trying to impress or work around. That's very different than kids that are lying to avoid punishment. I didn't break the lamp. I didn't hit my, you know. So we want to make sure we're in non-punitive households. But kids that like to like get sort of like this 
shock and awe and impress adults. They are those kids I was saying to the other question, you know, try and get them on some magic because then it's sort of like you're duping people. You're saying, look at, I carved this box in half and you know, what happened to the lady in between, right? Where did the scarf go? How did I make the quarter come out my ear? Those are smart ways to dupe people. It's called magic and it's fun and people enjoy it. It is not fun to dupe to say the dog ate my paper um, or no, I didn't take candy, you know, steal money from your your wallet. That's, that is not okay. So call him on it. Tell him he's good enough. Show him ways to impress people through positive contribution or through the, the wonderfulness of this thing called magic. Get him a little magic kit and let him, let him learn some of that stuff. So those are my questions for this week. Thank you very much. Keep sending them in. I have a guest next week. So I'm looking forward to uh, sharing her with you and um, we'll catch you next time. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.